Walker's Playhouse. Mr. Fane, you might have waited until I bade you enter. The fact is, hearing voices, I have less compunction in breaking in on you than I would otherwise have had. Is it not probable, sir, that I chatted to myself while I'm calculating my figures? Unlocked. Unlocked. You're evading the point, Mrs. Jessman. Is there anyone concealed in here? Well, was someone concealed there, or did pretty Mrs. Jessman chatter and laugh to herself while she calculated her figures? The answer to these questions and there is an answer, is not for us to tell. Instead, we go back in time to the graceful and charming England of George III. Imagine, if you will, a country inn located in the county of Cumberland in the last part of the 18th century. As Author's Playhouse presents the late Sir Arthur Wing Pinero's strange tale of The Widow of Wasdale Head. My dear fellow, you don't drink. Come, drink up. Oh, I'm sorry, Dick. Welcome to Walker Head. Thank you, Ned. Your health. <clears throat> well, Ned Tuber. Aye. It is like to be worse at a far morn. There'll be sleet. Now has been sleeting this night, depend on it. Heaven send the chimney stacks to hoard out. Amen to that. What's that? The sign of a house. It hangs on a post outside the inn. Creeps like that in the wind for hours. <laughs> Ghostly sound. <laughs> uh, is there anything else I could do for you, Sir John? Uh, no, too well, thank you, no. Uh, very well, sir. <laughs> At last. But that he would never leave. And now, my dear Ned, let me inform you why I have intruded on you in this manner. It's no intrusion, Jack. To be candid, I've already guessed the object of your visit. Indeed. Well, then, that being the case... Oh, confound you, Jack. You don't suppose I attribute your sudden and underfall appearance to mere inclination for gossip over a bottle. You of all men would never quit town at this time of year without some urgent reason. Since you phrase it that way... You were sent here by my family. They're vastly concerned at your absence. In the name of patience, why? Their letters plagued me to death, Jack. Well, your visit here with Sir Roger Boltwood ended two months ago. True, it did. But I became smitten with the beauty of the district. It's a lovely locality. In spite of flood and tempest. Oh, I keep forgetting you were a poet. Oh, Bosh, don't roast me for my follies. My dear boy, if our follies ceased with the scribbling of verses, we should be warranted in esteeming ourselves wise. <laughs> <laughs> so it is solely the beauty of the district that detains you, hey, Ned? Well, uh, yes. And would I to have explored this enchanting neighborhood, shall we travel home together, Ned? No, Jack, I can't leave here until... <clears throat> I live, what a beautiful woman. I'm sorry I was not by to receive you today, Sir John. Late as it was, I was at my farm in Burnford, where I was tending some sick beef. I hear you've read from Alberston today, which is a weary road. Oh, yes, I... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is my friend, Sir John Humphrey, Mrs. Devon. I know. I saw Sir John once when I was a child, driving his caracol in Hyde Park. He did make such a fine show. Well, oh, I've lost the honor, I... I'm sure your friend is happy to see you here, Sir John. Wadsville Head is but a stern and solitary spot at all times. And March are dreariest months. <clears throat> uh, suffer me to say, madam, that uh, 
Meeting you has increased my happiness in no inconsiderable degree. <laughs> I, I fear Sir John does not know who or what I am. Please enlighten him, Mr. Fane. And Mrs. Desmond is mistress of this inn, Jack, and the widow of Mr. Henry Desmond of Vagelmont. A widow, ma'am? Oh, I'm sorry. Two years a widow, and a humble taverner and farmer, and at your service. Ah, I've brought you both a bowl of punch. This is my own mixing, Sir John, and I beg your indulgence for the widow's offering. Ned, ma'am, I swear you shall join us. Ned, a third drop. Oh, mercy, Sir John. I insist on my knees. Why, Sir John. For you, ma'am. Oh, thank you. And you, Ned. Thank you. There. Come now, bumpers. Ah, that's not fair, Mrs. Jesmond. Bumpers. Ah, there now. Ah, upon my soul, it is delicious. Permit me to compliment you on your skill, ma'am. Oh, the credit is none of mine, Sir John. It was my dear Harry that taught me. <clears throat> your late husband. A toast. I call a toast, then. Ned, Mrs. Desmond, I give you... The king. Oh, oh, yes, certainly, ma'am. <clears throat> certainly. His most gracious majesty, King George. The king. God bless him. <clears throat> Another. No, spare me. Ned, to the lady of Wasdale. The lady of Wasdale. Oh, the widow thanks you, gentlemen, for your amiability and with a full heart. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go to your bed chambers and see that your beds are properly prepared. Uh, allow me to light you, ma'am. Oh, it is not necessary, Sir John. Allow me to hand you the card. Uh, I am an adorable creature. Thank you, Ned. Uh, yes, sir. You were right. Wasdell is the most beautiful district in the kingdom. Divinity prodigious. How the devil did you meet? Oh, it's a simple story, Jack. Betty, uh, Mrs. Desmond, eloped with Henry Desmond, who established this tavern with what remained of his squandered inheritance. Since she has been two years a widow, she must have carried her to church in a go-kart. Well, they were only married a month. Riding home from a hunt, he was thrown and mortally hurt. He breathed just long enough to shoot his poor mare, who had broken a leg, and then he laid his head upon her warm ribs and stirred no more. Mm. Leaving this delicately bred young lady to brute punch and till the soil for her subsistence. And that's the wonder of it. Her aptitude is amazing. Not a farmer in Cumberland can match her knowledge of crops and cattle. I've seen the oldest and wisest of them approach her hat in hand to ask her counsel in a difficulty. And her reply is always the same. You say, come back to me, she will say, as soon as you please after Friday. And you shall have my advice. Friday? Yes. Every Friday night she sits here in this room. When the household is abed and makes up her books. Oh, the wind sings. It has a voice in it positively. Uh, parlor, eh? Yes. Every Friday night at the stroke of ten, I leave her here to tend her work. And today... I have thought of that. Today is Friday. And it's close on ten now. <laughs> I, for one, am mightily relieved, Ned. Just as I suspected. Entangled in a petticoat. Have you declared yourself yet? No. Why, man, what ailed you? There's a mystery in this house. A mystery, eh? Yes, and I lack the courage to unravel it. Explain that. I leave Betty here alone every Friday night. But heaven forgive me for doubting her. 
I fear she doesn't remain alone. The devil, you say? Unless she's capable of talking to herself. Her vigil is no solitary one. Talking to herself? <laughs> Who would have thought it of her? The jades are all of a pattern. Talking to herself? What? A window? Uh, during my second week here, I'd retired when suddenly I remembered that I'd left a letter in here on the desk. I came to fetch it and was standing by the door, wavering whether I should rest. Yes. Then I heard the low muttering of a voice, or voices. I could swear a man was talking. Every Friday night, Ned? Yes, and sometimes I've heard a soft wailful note. Is it from an instrument? A signal. That's a thought just came to me. Look, an instrument such as this would produce the sound I heard. Hear this. A hunting horn. But it's dull for want of use. Tis you that are dull. Look if it's bright at the mouth. Yes. The metal here shines like a guinea. Only five to four. That is not the only mouth pressed by those lips of hers. It's plain, Ned, that the wee widow's weekly vigil is but a ruse for entertaining her amorite at her ease at twelve. But, Jack, I... Away with your scruples. We leave the pretty witch to her pretext. Then you shall return and walk boldly in. By what right, Jack? You imagine she isn't aware that you are honestly in love with her? There's reason sufficient for you. I leave my pistols here under my cloak, should you chance to need them. Oh, Jack, it's impossible that she should be frail. There's the look and bearing of an angel. Her eyes, Jack, her eyes... <laughs> they are brilliant. They resemble the blue of a summer morning of a mystery dispelled. Her voice... Musical, I admit. Her voice is the quality of a harp in it when its strings are half muffled. Mark me, Jack, if I find her no better than she should be, I'll never trust woman again. Oh, Ned. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> Ned, I protest. You recall Mr. Garrick to me as the blackamoor in Shakespeare's play. Jack, I mean what I say. <laughs> when that great little man, Mr. Garrick, quits the stage, you shall fill his place, my dear Ned. I vow you shall. <laughs> Sir has indeed. And to say the truth, I shall not be sorry to find myself in a soft bed and between a pair of sweet-smelling sheets at an earlier hour than is customable with me. Oh, you must dream you're in London, Sir John, card-playing with some choice cronies. Nay, ma'am, my dream shall be of a far more interesting sort, I promise you. Good night, Sir John. Good night, Mr. Fane. Good night. Hello, Ned. Good night, ma'am. Be there out else I can do for him? No, thank you, Tubal. Are the maids in their beds? Aye, and they'd asleep, I reckon. Daddy. Good night, mistress. Good night, Tubal. Ah, at last. Everyone in bed. Thought they'd never retire. And now, dear Hal, come to me. the slates of the old lean-to in the stable-yard. It's a terrible night. I wonder if you'll come. Now, had I ever failed to come when you called me back in the grave by blowing the horn? It's a terrible night for you to be abroad, Hal. I'd almost hoped you wouldn't obey my call. 
there you go again, Lassie. Oh, how often I've told you all weathers one to a ghost. Now then, sit with you, and let's go to work. And hearty, if these winds continue to blow, thou best clear the you flock off the fells into the lowlands. You hear? I hear, my dear Hal. Is there uh, aught else amiss here or at the farm? Uh, four of the shorthorn bullets of Burntwood are lame from Kybe. What am I to do for him? Kybe? What? Why, I gave you a remedy for Kybe a year since. I know you did, Hal, but I failed to notice. Oh, I'm sorely afraid you've no faith, Betty. Thou'rt but a heedless, gay-hearted wench. Uh, what have you and the lads been doing for me? Uh, rubbing tallow fat betwixt the claws of the poor brute. Tallow fat? Yes. Zounds, I wonder you ain't rubbed in some of the sweet pomade thou sent me from London for thy ringlet. Oh, Odd <laughs> bobs, you may well grin. Twould vastly tickle me were I alive. <laughs> uh, come now, uh, a dippy penny. Tallow. Anoint with blue vitriol and hog lard. Blue vitriol? Uh, Williams at St. Bridget's will sell me blue vitriol. Uh, uh, mix the stuff half and half, and, and within a fortnight the beast will be sound pudding. Oh, thank you, dear Harry. Now, uh, uh, what's the next item, then? The next? Hell? Eh? Sit in my armchair yonder while I talk to the worker. Uh, certainly I will, child, if it afford thee any gratification. It's all the same to a ghost, whether he be sitting or lying or standing. Uh, there now. Uh, uh, do you fancy this posture? Oh, I remember the limit constantly. Oh, that I might fill that pipe and light it for thee at the candle and slip the scarlet end of it into that poor mouth as I used to do. Nay, nay, Betty, that's talking sheer nonsense. Uh, uh, come. Come, there's no good whimpering. Uh, get on with thy work. Oh, hell. Why, Beck? What's wrong with you now? I'm an imposter. I despise myself for fobbing off these salesmen with belief that tis I who helps them in their difficulties. Why, to you that do it, though. I say tis so, and were I alive, I should be consumedly proud of your best. If only I could reveal that you visit me in this manner. Yeah, the folks for miles around. The inn and farms would be shunned, and thou'd be reduced to beggary. I suppose so, Hal. Uh, it is lucky I had to bend for farming as well as for dicing and cockfighting. But a husband and wife are one, and so I take it on a widow and her husband's ghost. If she falls in love with another chap, there's logic for it. Dad, but that reminds me, Dad. Oh, of what, dear Harry? A of falling in love. The young gentleman that quartered himself under this roof two months ago is still here. Mr. Edward Fane? Aye, aye, that's him. A handsome black young man in his own hair. I wager he finds no lack of diversion at Wardsville, or he'll not linger as he does. He's sweet on the last, sweet to a certainty. Oh, how can you? Aye, and now be losing thy heart to him, if thou not careful. Harry. And then... I shall hear the blast of the horn no more on Friday night, in spite of all thy tears and protestations. And thou cast me aside and out of thy thoughts like a worn parasol. Hell, as if I could ever be inconstant to thee, my first and last love. Shame on you, poor grisly thing that thou art, for thinking it of me. Dang it, there you go again, Betty. Grisly. 
Oh, but just the same, when last I spied you both, he had a paper in his hand, and he seemed to be reading or uh, reciting. Ah, yes. He had the taste for writing poetry and was reading one of his own compositions. Uh, that is the real reason he lingers at Walsdale, Harry. He declares the grandeur of the district elevates his mind. <laughs> What's his poetry like, like? I warrant it's all love and dove and that sort of muck. Nay, it is somewhat better than muck. Eh? The piece he was reading, the, uh, uh how was that style? To Aminta, a lady dwelling in the country. Ah, a lady dwelling in the country. Tis <laughs> thee, of course. Hell, there are hundreds of ladies that dwell in the country. And he'd bear thee off to London, would he, to the haunts of men. Why, the... Harry! Uh, I have a question to ask you concerning the crooked field below Buckbarrow. <laughs> Harry! Oh, Harry, who could that be? What is... Who's there? Did I? Forgive me, Mother. Indeed, Mr. Fane, you might have waited till I bade you enter. The fact is, hearing voices, I had less compunction in breaking in on you than I should otherwise have had. Voices? Yes. The sounds of laughing and talking. I see. Is it not probable, sir, that I chatter to myself while I'm calculating my figures? And laugh. And laugh. You're evading the point, Mrs. Desmond. Is there anyone concealed in here? Concealed? Nay, then he must have left the room as I entered it. Mr. Fane, do you realize... I swear I heard more than one voice and that a man. By heaven, you are deceiving me. Deceiving you? Oh, what am I to you or you to me that I should deceive you or enlighten you on any matter that does not concern your abode at my inn so that your bed is clean, your food wholesome and my charge is fair and you acquit them promptly? What obligations, pray, are we under to each other? I love you. Love me, sir? Yes. I've loved you from the first moment I saw you, and on the day I came to this inn and checked my bridle at the porch, you stood with your hands resting on my horse's shoulder and your eyes drooped before mine. I've loved you from that moment. Love? Well, I've often been struck with the idea that you were exceedingly well disposed toward me, but... Well disposed? But until now, you've never spoken a word of love to me. You are full of courage tonight, at any rate. I must admit to a display of jealousy. Mrs. Desmond, Betty, I set out for London tomorrow, carrying with me recollections that will remain with me until death. Recollections of the hours we've spent together in this room. Hours of bliss before I mistrusted thee. Hours of anguish when I endured the torment of the damned. I ask you only to remember that I would have crowned you with my honor and esteem, adored you and defended you and given you my heart to lean upon. But after tonight, after hearing those voices... Edward, it is true, then, that you love me. Oh, my dear, I have been false and unworthy as you accused me. But it is my secret visitor that I'm false to and not to thee, my dearest mate. No. What can I do? Don't put me from me for this once. I have known of thy love for me from the beginning. And... Oh, heaven, pardon me, my dear. I have loved that thou shouldst love me. Betty, my love, my dearest. I love you, Mary. And if you ride away tomorrow, glance up at my window before you leave. That I shall not do. Now, where is this visitor? Edward, Tixels, why? They are so down. He left them here lest I should encounter the rest that have obtained such pernicious influence over them. Oh, Edward, listen to Where me. Where is he hid? No bullet can harm him. Twould but whistle through him and strike the wall. Are you out of your senses? Am I? Thou shalt see. 
Unhook that horn from the wall and bring it to me. The signal? <laughs> yes, the signal. Here, let me have it, Mary. Watch closely, Ned. Merciful power. Drop the pistols. They will do no good. A ghost. A ghost. Yes, Ned. It is my husband's spirit. My grief called it to me in the young days of my bereavement. And it has visited me every week since and guided me in the conduct of my land and property. And it is my resolve to remain constant to this shadow as though to a flesh and blood and bone. You, my dear Ned, have been pleased to take an interest in me. Oh, not without excessive jealousy. And you will be glad when you quit Wazdell Head tomorrow to reflect that the poor widow that has done her best for your comfort and entertainment is not entirely alone. Good night. Mr. Fane. Betty. Mrs. Desmond, I... Good night. Good night. Hal, I hope thou art not angry. It was Mr. Fane that interrupted us, but he may be trusted. Thank heaven he leaves tomorrow. Now, let me see. What was it I was about to ask him? Uh, oh, yes. The crooked field by Buck... Why, how dim you are, Harry. Dim? Gad, but I think so. Thou knowest that I owe this ghost the existence of mine only to thy love for me. I marvel at the witnessing what has passed between you and Mr. Fane, that thou can concern me at all. Witnessing? Aye. Do you imagine I was out of eye and earshot? But you disappeared when he burst in. I faded out, Betty, but... I've been with thee the whole while. Oh, Harry. Nay, nay, no fear. I should be making the fuss. And but George, I would too, but that thou hast diminished me to such a degree that I am scarce capable of. Ah, Betty. Ah, oh, I never suspected you would tell me in this. No, Harry. That thou should prove such a smooth tongue, double taste hypocrite. Dang it, that beats me. That is such a vast knowledge of wisdom. Oh, hush, hell, hush. Were I a hypocrite and merely feigning love for thee, there would be nothing of thee visible, hell, not a vestige. Sounds. I suppose it is possible for a woman to love a live man and yet have a softish feeling for a dead one. But, but tis plain, Betty, that the love for him is uppermost. And so, to preserve a morsel of dignity... It would be prudent of me to bid thee goodbye before I fade from thee completely. Oh, no. No, Harry, listen. When the grave closed over thee, I did believe that I was done with love forevermore and that my heart was but a dry and withered plant. Alas, Harry, it was then that Ned came to Wasdale Head. The sun was shining in the valley. There was a tremble of spring in the air. And it was then that I felt love stir again in my heart. But, my dear, he's going, and tis not likely that I shall see him again, or any other of his kind or character. And so you, you must pardon me this one stumble. And by all that I hold most sacred, Hal, I Make swear... Make no more promises, Betty. Thou hast perjured thyself enough as it is. Perjured my... Oh, yes. Thou dost not perceive that it is a sad mistake for a widow in the first flood of her grief to call her husband back from the tomb. What we do in heat, we repent in cold. Sooth is my fault for having answered thy cry. I should have had more brains and would have had, but that I lost some in my accident. 
so cool. Now dry thine eyes. I tell thee, I don't blame thee nor bear thee malice. No, nor him. Tis the way of the world. Odds, bobs, who's missed in it? Why, I recall losing my dog, Pincher, when I was a bachelor that died of jaundice. Oh, how I raved about it and stamped up and down the stable where he lay stiff. But a week or two later, I was buying a couple of pups in Gosworth Fair and was in love with them and forgot Pincher. And the following week, I met thee and fell in love with thee and forgot the pups. Well, last... Harry, th- don't leave me, please. Perhaps it is all for the best, though it's been a sore blow to my pride. Egad, as I shall ride out no more, maybe it will settle the question of my future abode, one direction or time. Harry, Harry! The grey mare, too. She did but blunder but once in her life. Ah, oh, tis rough on her poor slut to have had her rest broken for a single slip. Oh, hell, I can't hold thee. Don't fade from me forever. It be better, lass, for in the heart ye truly love young Master Ned. See now that ye make him as good a wife as ye did for me. Goodbye, Betty. I've got to ride on the mare for the last time. Come, mare. Wait. I love thee, Hal, my husband. Come back to me. Oh, I see thee fading away. I can scarcely see thee. Hal, I swear I truly love thee. Come, come. Get up, mare. Harry! Harry! The horn will bring me back. Without faded away, and I want thee. How come back to me? Oh, he's gone. He's gone. Betty, what is it? What's happened? Is she all right, Ned? What are you staring at, Betty? Tell me, what is it? He's gone. You've driven him away. I hate you. I hate you. I. Harry. Oh, Jack. She's dead. I knew it, Jack. Betty, my dear, let me hold you in my arms. I love you. Oh, Jack, what have I done? Why, it is only a swoon, Ned. That's all. <laughs> and look, she must truly love thee, lad. Her arm is reaching out around thy neck, even in her fainting spell. Yes, she must truly love thee. <laughs> have heard Sir Arthur Wing Panero's The Widow of Wasdale Head, adapted for Author's Playhouse by Alan M. Fishburne and directed by Mr. Norman Felton. Miss Geraldine Kay was heard as Betty, Mr. William Everett as Ned. Others in tonight's Author's Playhouse cast were Mr. Howard Hoffman, Mr. Charles Eggleston, and Mr. Bob Derenforth. Mr. Joseph Galicchio conducted. Next week... Same time, same station, Author's Playhouse will bring you Lafcadio O'Hearn's exotic tale of the Far East, The Soul of the Great Bell. Radio, as we know it, is proof of what can be accomplished in a land where free enterprise is a way of life, 
where great good for many people is preferred to benevolent despotism for the few. 